Welcome to Luke's Talk Wine. My name is Luke and I work for a big wine company. My name is Luke and I work for a small wine company. And today we're going to talk about, oh, wines for Christmas. What do we choose for Christmas? I've had some people talking about things they're pulling out of the cellar, so I think it might be interesting to hear your thoughts on what goes into the Christmas uh, table, Mr. Campbell. We also have a question from the uh, audience, which is about Chablis, which is a, a matter quite dear to my heart. But first, as usual, what's topical? What's been happening in your wine world this week, pal, Luke Campbell? Well, thank you very, very, very much for that kind introduction, Luke Morris, and hello to our listening audience. This week, I have been I've been put off by temperature. Temperature has been getting oh, yeah. temperature has been getting in the way at every. It's I've turned before. on my wine fridge for the first time in many months. Hey, well, a lot of people, a lot of listeners will be in that same vein, I, I think, and that that's what happened to me. So I got caught. Um, in the fact that uh, my wine, my wine, my temperature controlled wine fridge cabinet was off, and I pulled a um, a wine, a red wine, in fact, that wasn't cellar temperature. And I was like, oh, and then I was like, oh, do I, don't I put it in the fridge? And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about temperature. <laughs> and because I got caught, you've got caught, a lot of people out listening get, will have oh, got I was caught. Probably, oh, I was probably caught, but I did. It is one of those things where I. Uh, being slightly mindful of power, I have solar power and things like that, energy consumption. I um, I don't turn on the fridge unless I think I have to. And then I saw a couple of – I pulled a bottle out and I went, well, that, that feels warmer than normal. Press the button, turn on the fridge, and it's going to stay on for the next usually three, three months or so. Yes. Well, it wasn't so much about my – because you're all right in those wide cabinets. Everything stays stable. For me, it was more about the – the drinking temperature, like, was yeah. that the same for you, or I try to um, sounds this sounds uh, uh, like I'm mocking you, but I try to plan ahead my drinking there, uh, careful. <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, I tend I tend to only look at the thing, you know, it's when I'm a bit, when I've got a few hours under, under my belt. So I um, I only use it for storage, really, just to make sure that. Uh, to be honest with you. Because screw caps, okay, by and large, to be stored outside the fridge compared to there's there's a much greater need for cork to be uh, temperature controlled. I tend to just put the cork ones in the in the fridge and leave the screw caps out if I can, just to conserve space. Yeah, no, fair call, fair call. But you you you're, you're trying to you've got one of those fancy ones. Do you have one of those split ones where you have white wine and on one level and red wine on another level, and they keep both of those at steady. Quote, unquote, room temperature. What is room temperature? Who designed room temperature? Wasn't that some French um, king of France, when the king of France said, this tastes good, always serve at this temperature? Was it some sort of bullcrap like that? Well, when you finish your little monologue, I'll tell you the actual correct answer. Yeah, go on. <laughs> room temperature is was, in fact, developed by the French, and it was, in, in fact, developed by a cavist. And it was either in Champagne or Burgundy, mainly concerned with Pinot Noir. And they devised that, generally speaking, red wine should be served as slightly cooler than room temperature. And it's generally between 14 and 16 degrees Celsius. And that's where you want. And that happened to me over the weekend. I pulled one out of the, our cabinet, which was, was had been off um, for, for the winter. And... 
I pulled it out and was like, ooh, it's a, it was about 18 degrees and it was just too warm to drink. And it was our second bottle. Luke, thank you very much for saying it wasn't very planned. Uh, I had planned the first bottle. I was unplanned for the second bottle. Yes. Well, the um, first so, bottle must have been good. What was that? The first bottle was delicious. It was an Anderson Fort Heathcote Shiraz brought to oh. us by none other than uh, oh, Ryan Fort Ryan and Fort Liam and Anderson. The... I was going to say Rez Anderson. That's not his name. <laughs> no, that was Fright Night and Friday the 13th. Um, Liam's much more pretty than that. No, Rez um, Anderson's the, um, uh, well, Tenenbaums and uh, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Well, there you go. So there's that two is. Wes Andersons in the world. There probably is. There's yeah. probably at least three. No, I'll anyway. think of it. <laughs> We digress. So, correct <laughs> cellar temperature is that about fourteen to sixteen degrees. But then you get into the uh, the, the you know right. hat, what what should I serve it at? Should I serve? What's the right temperature? And people get you know the right temperature for drinking. Obviously, you want to serve whites slightly colder. Blah 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 blah. I mean, let's not get too caught up on that. It's just I, I really think you've just people have got to be mindful of temperature, particularly coming into the warmer months. It's okay. Long answer to a to a short query was it's okay to serve a red slightly chilled. Yeah, no, serve it in the fridge, particularly in Australian mm. conditions where you're yeah. you're dealing room temperature is above twenty degrees. That's that's actually you know my ideal room temperature is about the twenty something degree twenty two degree mark. I'm not so in love with this idea of uh, the French saying room temperature should be around uh, what do you say 16, 18 degrees or something like that. Four, that's too cold to French people. 14 to 16 degrees, but uh, it's Put it also, just jumper weather. It also depends on your ambient temperature outside. There's a few factors in play there, so you can't really speak generally to that, but I mean, well, you, that's out there already. The wine well, you can't because you've already said something that was interesting that the... Uh, really? Uh, that's the, unusual. The, the, yeah, I know. That's why I'm picking <laughs> up on it and drawing an underline and saying, let's go back and talk about this for a second. <laughs> you talk, You mentioned that uh, the Karavisht, which would be the uh, cellar master, um, identified that room temperature was in association to Pinot Noir, mm-hmm. which I don't know about you is not the number one grape varietal that um, I think most people drink in Australia. It would be Shiraz, full-bodied Shiraz, and I'm trying to think if whether or not there would be a different room temperature per red wine. There would have to be. There would have Absolutely. to be some sort of finicky somebody out there, you know, in a white lab cloak carrying a clipboard and, and, and having too many pens in the upper pocket. Someone who knows what the green pen is for in those multi-pen uh, clickers would, <laughs> would be able to tell you that each grape varietal has a specific ter- serving temperature. Absolutely. Specific serving temperatures is it probably escalates or, or goes in an upward trajectory the high your alcohol is. So if you've got a very alcoholic 17% Primitivo from Italy slash Zinfandel from the US, you probably want to serve that slightly um, I Which, are you saying higher? So you're going up in temperature? So, so uh, no, I'm going down. So if you're high in yeah. alcohol, you want to be lower, lower in in temperature. Uh, you know? good. And, and so the, the 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 science behind that is associated to the alcohol. Alcohol is a volatile chemical, and the more the higher temperature, the more you're going to get the whiff of alcohol. And well, so you want to serve it cooler. Is that that's one of, or is that well, the leading? 
What, what do you need? What do you need me for, Luke Morris? That is. Exactly <laughs> <it>. <laughs> You've nailed it on the head. That is that is one of, and that is the uh, answer to the question. So, well, you tend to be the person who does a lot of research. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do the research, but I'm also the person who does the editing of this. I'm just defending myself. I you edit, the, I edit the podcast. You, you you do all the smart stuff while we're recording it. <laughs> not true. Um, not true. Uh, what was I going to ask you? Oh, I was going to say that was a very interesting topic in terms of temperature and um, uh, serving te- uh, uh, alcohol versus serving temperature because still something like I'm, I'm going to say Beaujolais because it's a hot topic at the moment, but there's mm. lots of other great red wines that we do serve chilled. And oh, yeah. Uh, and they're not even high alcohol red wines because I wouldn't associate Beaujolais with being up the 17 degree mark. But I know plenty of people that would say if you serve that around the 14 degree mark, that's uh, 17% mark, percentage of alcohol mark. But if you serve yeah. that, you know, lower than normal, I don't know. What am I thinking of there? The palate, the acids coming through. Well, what what happens is if you if you if you mm. chill it down, you kind of um. You flatten those enzymes and, and and molecules. The less aggressive ones that might jut out, the acid might jut out, the alcohol yeah. might jut out, and so you just kind of you bring them back into a um, a perspective that could, your palate can tolerate, and then your body temperature warms up with it, and that's the secret. I mean, we're giving away all the tips here to drinking like a professional, <laughs> but unbelievably, who knows why people listen to this podcast? listeners but uh you're getting all the, the tips charm today. they're just looking for the charm must be and there's, there's tips on top hi mm. hi this is luke morris from luke's talk wine i've written some books so visit lukemorrisha.com.au go there see the books buy one support the podcast that's lukemorrisha.com.au l-u-k-e-m-o-r-r-i-s-h-a.com.au have a great day. Let's let's go to this week's topic. I think we could keep talking about temperature, to, to be perfectly honest with you. But True. Beaujolais does make me think about Christmas a little bit. Maybe it's just because it's Christmassy time of year at the moment and there's a lot of people who are in, in my world because I, I ship out a lot of wine around Australia who are, are getting their orders planning ready now so that they can have their wines in time for Christmas. What kind of stuff do you find yourself putting on the table, Mr. Luke Campbell, from, from your oh, boutique end of the world? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. I, I always start with a sparkling. I've said it on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners Sparky will know Shiraz, me. Mate. Listen, sparkling Shiraz. Depending on what protein I'm having, I, I, I love sneaking a sparkling Shiraz. If I'm having, if, if guests are joining us for lunch and they might be, um, they might they might be from overseas, um, you know, or they, they might not have spent a great deal of time in Oz. I, I without a doubt, sparkling Shiraz is a go-to, uh, particularly if you're having your richer meats, your, you know, your porks and things like that. Great, uh, and it always freaks a few people out if they haven't had a sparkling Shiraz, but it's one that's just a go-to, easy. Can I, I love can putting I, that on a on a yeah, sure. Can I, can I run this one past you because I'm trying to remember the history of sparkling Shiraz, and I know mm. you've just alluded to the fact that Australians 
some people consider it Australia's great wine gift. Some people consider it one of our great wine errors. I think mm. sparkling reds did originate in Champagne. I think they did make sparkling Pinot Noir using red grape. And it's just, I guess we're the first to use the Shiraz grapes. It's just not sparkling red is an Australian. Oh, I, I couldn't answer to how long the Champenoise have been making rosé, but here in Victoria, sparkling Shiraz or sparkling Burgundy, it was known. It yeah, was known as sparkling was, Burgundy, wasn't it? Yeah, so it's, yeah. but it, it's moreover it being Australia's own. It's actually Victoria's own. A Victorian um, doctor and the guy of D'Argent, the Frenchman, you know, who was a relative of Verve D'Argent, the Champenoise producer, and the, anyway, the, the French winemaker who collaborated with the Victorian doctor, or he might have even been a, a, a poly, actually, up, up somewhere up towards Bess there in the Grampians in northeastern yeah. Victoria. They first produced over 100 years ago. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And where they just basically captured that um, effervescence of Shiraz and, yeah, it became, you know, then it went on to become you know, sparkling burgundy, cold duck, all those kind of things. Leasingham, classic Claire. You know, there's been know, a myriad you, of uh, people yeah, coming you, about. Can we go? You talking about that makes me think of Priest sparkling Shiraz. Priest, Colin Priest. For some reason, I think they're one of the. Oh, I, don't, I haven't looked into it. You're making me think that they are one of the longest producers of sparkling shiraz in Australia because they're up around that area that you were talking about. Mm, yeah, well, that, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Colin Priest had a had a hand in it. You know, he was a long way on, obviously. But you know, then you got you got the sep- all the sepulchre show reserves. I mean, they've been made for fifty years plus. God, um, I remember um, they were a fantastic wine. Oh, and fantastic value. I mean, we haven't even gotten to the wines coming out of the Barossa, but. Yeah, I, I think you'll find it's been produced in Victoria since like the 1800s, late 1800s. Um, Good yeah. stuff. And, and right. it, it is, it's a worthy attribute to a hot summer served ice cold off the ice, um, yeah, with a, with a piece of crispy skin, pork, or even, you know, if, even if you're having seafood, a bit of salmon or a bit of tuna on, uh, on a summer's Christmas day, a bit of sparkling Shiraz, get in. Delicious. Beautiful. All right, so we're starting off with our sparkling. What's what was next on the? Do, do would you pull out? Oh, I'd probably um, you know on Luke's Todd Riesling. I would you know <laughs> I would absolutely go for an Eden Valley Riesling, something high country in the Barossa. Lots of floral notes about it. Lots of kind of lemon curds. Not as heavy on the acid as the wines from the Claire, so you won't offend the mother-in-law or the drunk uncle, everyone will be able to drink it. Go the really nice. That's <laughs> that. I feel, I feel with being poked there. <laughs> um, every, everybody can handle it. Everybody's familiar. Everybody's got a Riesling story. They either, it's like Collingwood. You either love it or hate it. Oh, yeah. um, that, that, so, does, uh, you, you have to be careful when you introduce it though, because invariably you get the question, is it sweet? Yes, and and I always love that question because I am people, really. Yeah, well, people, you got to embrace that question. A lot of people and listeners will put be shaking their heads or nodding their heads. In this case, not a lot of people understand the difference between fruit and sugar. Fruit might taste sweet, but it's actually fruity. Where sugar is sugar sweet. So residual sugar and fruit are actually very very different. Um, and consumers, and I put our hands up collectively here, Luke. We're consumers too. Like 
it's very difficult to decipher what is leftover sugar in a ferment and what is fruit sweetness. Even for me, you know, I'm sure for you as 25-year veterans in the industry of wine tasting, it's difficult for us. And, and we oh. understand the winemaking process behind it. Imagine those who don't. Oh, yeah. Look, I uh, to, to identify fruit sweetness on the palate for me is... is uh, it, it tends to have to just be a wine that is made in that style, like the, the Oslace or um, uh, Baron Oslace. What's it? Uh, and Baron Oslace. No, I'm Cabernet. just trying to think. Cabernet. Yeah. yeah. And, and there is some noticeable sweetness in that. And every so often when I taste a reasoning, someone will say, oh, there's a little bit of sweetness on the palate. And I think, yeah, but it actually, it's actually there just balancing out the acid. Yep. So it's not a sweet wine. Even if you could technically say, yeah, it's got sweetness, but it's not sweet. Yeah. I think, and I think most people who ask about, um, is this reasoning sweet? Is this people scarred by years of blue nun? I don't yes. think, I don't think it really is indicative of modern day reasoning at all. Anyway, yeah. But also, if you put a reasoning on the table early, they're generally lower in alcohol. You know, they get people, you know, the, the acid gets people up and about, you know. So if you're cracking bottles early, you know, 11, 11.30, they're lower in alcohol. You know, the, as I mentioned, the, the drunk auntie or uncle doesn't come out too early and it will clean your palate up in preparation <laughs> for what's coming up next. Um, so, yeah, on Luke's talk Riesling, um, yeah, I'd be going for an Eden Valley dry Riesling. So we've got we've got the sparkling Shiraz to have around potentially around the barbecue or around uh, or, or yep. for some uh, when you're to entertain some guests or or yep. some um, uh, maybe some white sparkling for uh, the same sort of thing you might have with the reasons that maybe some seafood canapé or some mm-hmm. uh, soft option. What what's next on the menu? What else? Uh, what else are you cracking out? Oh, uh, cracking out! I'm I'm looking for a really juicy. Uh, developed buttery, if possible, or woody, buttery slash woody Australian Chardonnay in that window, about five to seven years old, you know, preferably from high up in the Adelaide Hills, maybe Margaret River, Tassie, if I can find an affordable one. Um, And just just going down a deep dive of being sensual, like a really handcrafted bottle of Chardonnay. Is that because of the uh, potential roast turkey or whether you're trying to match with... Why, is, why, is, why, so, do you, why do you why do you entertain guests with some developed Chardonnay as you might again, call it? Any 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 of your cooked white meats, poultry, turkey, game, pork, uh, roasted fish. If you're doing seafood, um, you know it, roasted it's, it's, fish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that the 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 butter, the diacetyl characteristics, the wood, that lemon honey curd. You know, again, served ice cold. Just, just doing beautifully there. That kind of hint of orchard fruit, just going well. Just very versatile, Luke. Um, again, a talking point. There's always someone in the crowd. Oh, I don't like Chardonnay. And well, ABC. Exactly. Have you tried this? No, it's from the Margaret River. I've never been to the Margaret River. It's too far. Well, wrap your lips around this parking <laughs> gear. You know, and <laughs> Chardonnay's changed. Chardonnay's changed. Wait, no, Chardonnay's not changed the way you described it there. You want the big and buttery old school. That's the old school style. Yeah, I, I want Chard- that. Chardonnay's that. changed annoyingly in terms that it's become, well, I want to say austere, but I like austere Chardonnay. I, th- I think 
I think if you could produce and, and, and sell some big and buttery Chardonnay, there'd be plenty of people out there who want it. I just think it's uncool. It, oh, it is very uncool, yes. Um, it is very uncool to make a buttery Chardonnay. But they're out there, listeners. They are out there. You can hit me up on Instagram at vinified underscore wine underscore services and I can find those buttery Chardonnays. In fact, people are already doing it, Luke Morris, because they finding? want that style. Well, you know, there's a, a style, the the top wine from uh, McHenry Honan in Margaret River, which is called their Cal Guard Up Chardonnay. Um, yep. It's about 45 bucks a bottle. Delicious, yep. very rich. Uh, here in Beechworth, Fidey Gulling Road and Mark Walpole do their Smith's Vineyard which is up around that 60, 60, 60 bucks. But, you know, just using great French oak, very, very unctuous, quite delicious. The other one that's really good, actually, um, is from New Zealand, our friends across the Dutch, uh, which is Tamara Estate. They're, they're Hawke's Bay Estate. Um, you know, it, it's about 35 bucks, Luke, and it's also quite nutty and, you know, honeyed as, as well. Not buttery, but... Um, also quite delicious and quite good value. The buttery character for me is always something that comes through with age. I mean, you, you get oaky character in youth, but with age, you need the, the palate to become a bit more full. Oh, absolutely. And that's so, just hard to, to, to really replicate in youth. I just well, Exactly. So without a doubt, you might remember there a couple of minutes ago, that's what I said. I want something in that kind of five oh, to your cellar. Yeah. yeah, I want. Yeah, I, I don't want young Chardonnay because you, you'll ostracise uh, everybody except the drunk uncle, um, <laughs> and you really. Um, so yeah, <laughs> you, you're making me. <laughs> uh, Everyone's got. I, one. I am an uncle, and I don't have any kids myself, so I'm just always <laughs> worried that when I when I turn up at the Christmas party, you know, everybody else has brought their kids along, and then there's me just sitting there going. No, I'll throw a ball for you, but I'm really more interested in having a beard right now, kids. <laughs> None of you are mine. You're not my responsibility. Uh, um, that, that's about the gist of it, Luke. Morris. I, want to talk, hey. I want to talk more about Chardonnay, but I'll give yeah. you, let's have one more swing at a Christmas wine because mm. I've got one. You, 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 do, you want, do you have one more up your sleeve? I do, yes. Go for it. Well, you, you're going to ask me, what is the red? What am I looking for? And you're, you're thinking, oh, Campbell's going to pull out something something no. old and musty from the cellar um, yeah. you know, with plenty of age on it, blah, blah, blah. But in yeah. fact, I'm not. You eat you so much food. We live in a warm climate. You eat so much food and you you know you end up feeling you know, fairly full, fairly bloated. I am actually going to recommend you none other than something delicious from McLaren Vale, and it's going to be a McLaren Vale Grenache. Uh, okay. It's either going to be current vintage Ministry of Clouds for 35 or the other one, which is great, which is Giles Cook um, from Thistledown. They're Thistledown, oh, yeah. uh, which is also an amazing value wine. Uh, I'm just thinking, is it, it? it's also, it might be a, a touch towards, it might be the, 30 to 40 mark yeah but also great value um just yeah just accessible wines but they're lighter luke morris they're in that yep. kind of you know they're not low alcohols by any means but they're in that kind of 12 and a half 13 percent and they're just drinking beautiful a little bit of um you know that ripe red fruit red berry fruit again goes great with pork you could chill it if you wanted to 
very versatile. Doesn't go with a lot of white meat, but we'll go with fish. Uh, we'll go with turkey. We'll go at a stretch with chicken. Um, yeah, but definitely very versatile. What about you? What am what I having my what am I having my Grenache with? I'm having my Grenache with some uh, sausages off the barbecue. Ooh, yeah. To be honest with you. Yep. I know you sort of danced around a lot of red meats there, but I reckon the sausage would, would work. But if I was going to bring a – you've brought three wines to the table. I'm just going to bring one. Um, I'm just going to bring a bottle of vintage port. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to say there's a, there's a Christmas cake. Oh, what? Over here? What's underneath here? Oh, it's some pavlova. Okay, here's a Saturn. And uh, I'm just going to bring dessert. I'm just going to say have a pavlova with your Saturn or your um, Batuaitai Semyon. You can get one out of uh, De Bortley or you can get one out of Holick or you can get one out of, oh, oh gosh, um, who did a cracking one? Petaluma did uh, oh, some, yeah. I think it was Riesling that they, um, I think it was Batuaitai's Riesling or was late Ma- Ma- Riesling? Mount Horrocks, Mount Horrocks, oh, wonderful cane cut, um, their cane cut Riesling out of the Clear Valley. Delicious pineapples, orchard fruit, delicious. That's with your pavy, and yeah, just just some vintage port. I'm I'm going to straight to actual port. Oh, oh, oh good tawny um, for your uh, Christmas pudding. I know dessert wine is out of fashion, um, but uh, you you drunk uncle, aka me, will love you for it. <laughs> but like if you if can't you... drink if you can't drink a dessert wine on Christmas Day, when can you drink it, ladies and gentlemen? Like you know, it's a celebration. The family's together. Get the, get it, get the sweet. I, I, I love a sweet wine at the right time. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an excuse wine. When's yes. you got the excuse to drink it? Bloody now. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. But hey, so if it's thirty degrees, yeah. And, and you know my love of vintage port. I love a vintage port. But if it's thirty degrees, what do you do with it, Luke? Oh, well, let's trace back to uh, what we started talking about at the beginning of the episode, and you put it in the fridge. Yeah, cool it cool. down. All right, excellent. So cool I, I'd, be happy, I'd be happy cool. with that. You might you might offend a few people, but I wouldn't be offended if you bought me a slightly chilled vintage pork because I'd know the <laughs> quality underneath that cork. Um, yeah. yeah, without a doubt, delicious. Oh, if you are if you are at the dinner table and it's thirty degrees and you pick up a bottle of red wine and the red wine is colder than everything else in the room, it's probably at a good temperature. Unless the other things in the room are things like an ice bucket. So the red wine shouldn't be colder than the ice. But picking up a cool bottle of wine and drinking that, that's fine. It's fine. We sh- technically, we were, we're running very short on time. We mm. had a question. You had a question, which was a question of, uh, and, and that's, you can ask your questions at lukestalkwine yes. at gmail.com. Um, is Chablis really Chardonnay? Ooh. Yes, actually, that oh yes, this was the question. So, <laughs> if we're really straight up about it, yes, Chablis is Chardonnay. Where, where do All we right, start, next Luke Morris? <laughs> <laughs> next question. Move on. No, but where, where do we start? I mean, that's obviously a broad topic. Where, where do you start, Luke Morris? Where are we where are we headed? It goes back go. to um, Terroir. Yep. Chablis is a region. It grows Chardonnay uh, vines um, now. Chablis has to be Chardonnay. That's the grape variety they use. 
but it's far more than that. So it's the region. There's there's Petitia blue. There's Premier Crucia blue. There's different subsoils and soils, and there's there's very um, uh, traditional wine making practices that they use that they've been using there for hundreds of years. It's just the way they make wine, and it just happens to be planted to Chardonnay. As important as the the grape varietal is, um, there's parts in, of France where they also only grow uh, a certain type of potato or a certain type not a potato but what am i thinking of cucumbers i think zucchinis anyway oh, d- goose fat what, you goose know, fat you, they you, have you name it eggs traditional yeah, yeah. traditional areas for those things and they, that's because for hundreds of years that's what's grown well there so chablis has chardonnay and that's what they make and it's fantastic it's not your unctuous big buttery chardonnay you're not going to find much things you could add do you know what's a change in the wine world, Luke Campbell? Uh, Australian no. unwooded Chardonnay. Oh. The word unwooded Chardonnay, it used to be something you'd see on a bottle every so often. Oh, I haven't gosh. seen someone label unwooded Chardonnay for a while. When I first and- started in my career, I couldn't write a wine list without the Goundry unwooded Chardonnay being on it. <laughs> my gosh. Hasn't that term gone the way of the dodo? But that's that's essentially that would almost be what someone would be trying to say is their version of Chablis because Chablis, by and large, and there are exceptions to this, would be un, unwooded, well, uh, unoaked. In, in in layman's terms, the difference between the north of Burgundy and Chablis and the south of Burgundy, um, you know, in, in Bone where they make Chardonnay, is that Chablis is ninety nine percent unwooded, yeah, and white Burgundy is ninety nine percent. Wooded for lay yeah. for layman's. I mean, your your technical term and explanation was way better than mine. But if you want to put it down to wood and wood usage, that is it. Yeah. But do you think if we go back to the question, is Chablis really Chardonnay, or is Chablis just Chablis, and Chardonnay is something that everybody else in the world makes? I would say Chablis is the original Chardonnay. Okay. And do, do is there anybody in Australia you think? Rivals does an unwooded Chardonnay as they used to label it, but they don't. Is there anybody that might rival that style? Because there's plenty of Burgundy impersonators. We've already talked about great producers up in Beechworth and um, in Margaret River, and, and that oaky style Chardonnay is a Burgundian style Chardonnay. But what what Gee, is oh, Australia's oh. Chablis? That's a really good question. What is Australia's Chablis? I've been searching, mate, and I know I'm stumping you, but that's not to make you feel foolish at all because I've been thinking no. the same thing and I have been wondering, why? Oh, Where? Yeah, it'd have to be either somewhere in the Yarra Valley or somewhere yeah. in maybe Tassie at a stretch, but I'd be looking in the Yarra. Yeah. Um, so I'd be looking at a cold climate region um do you think that you, and but then again i'm thinking when i'm thinking of producers giant steps isn't of that style helen's no. hill wouldn't be of that style no um punt road not of that style no um uh, adrian t- adrian t- tarawara tarawara uh, not of that style mackenzie forbes oh, Mac- mcgregor forbes, McGregor forbes? Actually, you know mcgregor would hate his wines being compared to Burgundy. 
Um, but his Village Chardonnay, which is about that $32 retail mark, gee, that is very linear. Um, it can be quite austere and deliver that, uh, heaven forbid, kind of grape, uh, green grass, silty, soily, gravelly um, note that Chablis throws up. But Mate, Izzy you're, is, talking, is, you're talking me into wanting to get a bottle right now. That sounds great. <laughs> Is Izzy Australia's answer to Chablis? Gee, I don't know. Mac is a famous exponent of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, uh, amongst other things. But, gee, Izzy, Izzy Australia's Chablis artist, Ooh. the artist formerly known as. Oh, I don't know. Ooh. I don't know. But do your research, listeners, and get shoot us, shoot us an email at lukestalkwine at gmail.com and let us know who you think Australia's Chablis impersonator is. Um, this yeah, sounds like a. Yeah, where's the Goundry Unwitter Chardonnay when we need it? Where, what's yes, going on? Absolutely. <laughs> the, the dodo has risen its head. It's missing. <laughs> um, I think that might be what we. Well, that might be what I'm going to try and drink this week. Try and find some sort of good unoaked Chardonnay in Australia. Unwitter Chardonnay, bring it back. Um, what are you going to be drinking this week, my friend? Yeah, well, you, you've you've peaked my ugly head up. I'm, I'm a, as you know, I've been on the Chardonnay bandwagon, and it it, it actually ended for me. Um, you know, based on you and I had a, a seven years at lunch a couple of weeks ago. And I, <laughs> yeah. I went looking for some Chenin Blanc actually, so I've had a couple of <laughs> versions of Chenin Blanc, um, which yeah, actually. From Swan Valley, actually, just north of Perth uh, in WA, there's some great expressions. Very inexpensive too, seemingly. Everything from fourteen bucks to twenty-five bucks. So I've been, I've had a couple of loose bottles of Shannon just drifting across my table this last week, but nothing really shining above anything, uh, Luke Morris. But I've been having a little bit of Shannon. But I think you've piqued my interest too. I might go and just have a little poke around for something light on the wood. Uh, and see what I can find. Christian, um, Christian, without notice. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I was going to play a game with you. Speaking of wine, oh, yeah. mm. th- this is this is a this is a game. It's going to go really quick. It is going to be the hardest wine game that you've ever played. And mm. um, y- if you get it wrong, don't feel bad because um, I, I I think this could be fun. But I'm trying to find my notes now, and I think I've lost my notes to play this game. <laughs> I do love oh, a wine no. game. Hey, hey, why listeners? Why Luke's finding his game? I just want to point you to. I was just reminded of a great article that was online at goodfood.com.au, written by none other than marvelous Max Allen back in mm. November, uh, which is and he wrote an article exactly on the topic Luke and I have just been talking about. And the article was entitled, listeners, if you want to write it down, The Secret to Keeping the Temperature of Red Wine Just Right in Summer. And if anybody follows Max on Twitter or um, on, on the social pages, LinkedIn, wherever, he will have shared that great uh, grape or great article <laughs> as it is. Um, and, it's you know, he talks in that article about how you, how you do wines, wines, too high alcohol if you should use ice and so on and it's just a little bit more in depth for the listeners luke morris if they want to um go go down a hole with max allen i thought it prudent to share such an article um if we absolutely can can we put an article in the notes i don't know if we can of this episode but um that's the article anyway max allen now max is famous enough now screw him the secret to keeping the temperature of red wine just right in summer looking up but listen is it 
He's a, he's a good guy though. I, I endorse anyone um, following Max Max Allen every day of the week. Yes. He's, he's Did you typical. find your notes? I found yes. my notes. Excellent. Okay, Luke Campbell. I'm going to read you tasting notes and you're Ooh, yes. going to tell me the grapefruit idol and as best uh, – no, let's just go to the grapefruit idol. Let's just see if you can narrow what the what grape this is describing. What uh, grape? Yep. Uh, so um, – it's classic cool climate style. These were the these were the first notes. Classic cool climate style. Lots of excellent spice and pepper. Really, some brooding meatiness. Shiraz. L- elegant herbal, not herbaceous. It's a herbal characters. Dried fruits. The palates are marmy and savoury. Really good length on palate. Easy drinking. Yum. Shiraz. Where's it from? Mm. Adelaide Hills. Ooh, Beechworth. But you did go to the cool climate area. You, you did pick up that, and it was Shiraz. Well done. What was what was what, what picked you on? You you went Shiraz early. It was the spice and pepper, wasn't it? It was no. You you said something after spice. You brooding. Said, uh, brooding. Brooding and meaty. Meaty, meaty. That's what it was. Yep. Yeah. You don't really yep. get meatiness out of Cabernet, you know. So yeah. And you'd oh, mentioned too much said, fruit to be new, to be old world, so it was. Yep. Someone said uh, it could have been um, Mataro. Eh, wrong. A little bit of meatiness in Mataro. Well, there is, but it would it wouldn't have. You described a lot of fruit. Yes. Um, and the That's... fruit in Mataro is blue, so I didn't get any of that. Well spotted. Good game. Uh, that was actually really good, Beatrice Shiraz, which I can't name on the uh, podcast because. Of my job, anyway. I work for a big, com- big company. I work for, I work for a big for company, and, and I'm not allowed to say that sort of stuff. <laughs> but, uh, that's all we got time for. We should be going. This mm. has been fun. We should do this again. Do you want to do this again next week? Done. Cool. All right. Thanks to you, listener. Thank you very much, listeners. You can. I've been Luke Campbell, and you can find me on Instagram at vinified underscore wine underscore services anytime you like. And in the words of Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now. Vinified are the wine cellars specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine. www.vinified.com.au